0: we're fundamentally in a crisis mode, right? So the the industry as a society, we're in an emergency. We're putting wind farms out at sea. We're putting wind farms in the middle of nowhere. Same with solar farms. And we've got to build a lot of energy transmission to meet that goal, right? National grids that in the next seven years, they will have to develop, I think, five times more projects than they did in the last 32 years. So just from the sheer scale of the challenge and supply chain and that just the workforce that needs to get this done.
1: This is a huge issue. Welcome to the Future Engineering Club podcast. My name is Jack Lomas and join me as I speak to some of the brightest minds in the built environment, hearing firsthand their experience building the future of our planet. For this episode, I'm super excited to be joined by Greg Marecki, CEO at Continuum Industries, An artificial intelligence startup automating the design of linear infrastructure. We talk about the criticality of automation within engineering design, the mind-boggling scale and practical complexities of the energy transition, the relationship between traditional industry versus disruptors, and lots more. Greg and the team at Continuum are I think one of the best examples of disrupting and evolving the quote-unquote way it's always been done. Their team combines deep civil engineering and AI expertise to really challenge the status quo And they've built an impressive track record counting most major engineering consultants and asset owners in the uk as clients as i'm sure you can tell i'm personally a really big fan of continuum and i think they very much represent the future of engineering with that let's pass over to greg at continuum industries we are trying to
0: help take linear projects from start to a consent or permit being granted as fast as possible at the lowest possible risk, and we use software to do that by automating some of the repetitive parts. So today, we focus on mainly energy transition-related projects, so that would be electricity transmission, hydrogen pipelines, CO2 pipelines, also water. But our journey really didn't start at that point. Our journey as a company started with the moonshot concept of a hyperloop, where People will be traveling in vacuum tubes at high speeds and whatnot. Now, that's a concept that's way out there. But we had a student team at the University of Edinburgh that was building Hyperloop prototype vehicles and testing them. We built the, the UK's first Hyperloop prototype. But we, we were excited about the technology. But we saw that to actually make it happen, it would take a very long time. And before even construction even started, it would be years and years. And we asked, what can we do to speed this up? Because we want Hyperloop to happen. As a company, pretty quickly, we realized that there's no market for this, that no one's actually building Hyperloops, but there was that huge need in the existing types of infrastructure, especially around energy transition, right? There's no energy transition without transmission, and that's what we're focusing on right now. So I think it's an interesting example of starting with a moonshot, realizing, finding some sort of an interesting idea or, or an insight of some sort, and then
1: bringing it as it goes back down to earth. So what is it about the energy transmission sector that makes it so suitable for your technology?
0: Yeah. So we've got, we've got a huge challenge as a society. We're putting wind farms out at sea. We're putting wind farms in the middle of nowhere, same with solar farms. And we've got to build a lot of energy transmission to meet that goal, right? National grids that in the next seven years they will have to develop, I think, five times more projects than they did in the last 32 years. So just from the sheer scale of the challenge and supply chain and the, just the workforce that needs to get this done, this is a huge issue, right? So this is like, how do you do five times more in seven years than you did in 32 years? So that that's a huge challenge. So obviously the, the first issue here is just scaling up the capacity of the team. There's a second issue, which is, when planning linear infrastructure, so things like overhead transmission lines, underground cables, subsea cables, submarine cables there's a challenge because effectively, when you try to connect two points that are located 100 kilometers away, or even 10 or 20 kilometers away, there's a lot of considerations that need to be taken into account, be it on the engineering stand- from the engineering standpoint, things like crossings of roads, rivers, railways, but also environmental impact and, and social impact visibility. And that's at the moment tackled by a number of teams, right? Environmental teams, landscaping, engineering. And they are somewhat separate. So, what we've done at Continuum with our technology option here is we brought all of those disciplines together in one place with the idea of making that sort of iterative loop faster and tighter so that the repetitive parts of the process are automated and that team can move forward faster.
1: What does that actually look like in reality? What is the technology or what is the, the clever bit?
0: Yeah, so it starts with the typical geospatial data that the team would expect to see on a project, right? So it starts with positions of existing buildings, be it residential, commercial, protected areas, environmentally, historically, archaeologically, existing infrastructure. So all of that data needs to be pulled in. We don't have what we call design rules. Those are effectively parameterized ways of expressing How to cross that road, right? How to cross a railway. Do I use an overhead line crossing or do I put it underground using a horizontal directional drill or using a microtunnel? And each of those obviously has different impacts, different costs, different schedules, programs attached to it. The same applies to visibility impacts, impacts in terms of digging up peatland along the way, releasing carbon into the atmosphere. So there's geospatial data which is then tied to those rules that can be configured with parameters by, by the project teams for each situation. And then there's an algorithm that takes the geospatial data, takes the rules and generates hundreds of thousands of potential route options, alignment options. And based on this starts to understand what the feasible and what the corridors look like between location A and B and that the, the project team can then work with to assess the alternatives, discuss and iterate on them. So what does this allow
1: us to achieve?
0: The iteration loop is much tighter and much faster. So the impacts that we're seeing on the projects that this technology is being used is that our customers are able to take their project forward at a much faster pace without compromising the quality of it. And in terms of real impacts, we're seeing people do a year's worth of work in six to eight weeks. Uh, while having much more information and more, much more data to actually present how they make the decisions to be local stakeholders, landowners, environmental agencies. But there's also an interesting element to it, which is because the process of coming up with options and changing those options is faster, there's also less lock-in so that when, they actually, when the project team actually goes to consultation, it's actually much easier for them to make changes and respond to the feedback that they get. As opposed to just being locked
1: in to whatever was decided two stages back so how are you received by industry and where do you see most of your work come from yeah so that's a
0: that's a really interesting situation that we're in because we're fundamentally in a crisis mode right so the, the industry as the a society we're in an emergency so the, the volume of work that's Going through the door right now that the industry has to deal with is just going through the roof five times more in the next seven years than in the last 32. Now, the industry, unless something changes, simply won't be able to cope with this. So, without how would we suddenly deal with that much more work without increased, like without scaling up five times in a matter of months? That's just not going to happen. So, you've got to get creative and clever about how you approach things. So, what we actually do enable is The team's shifting from, I mean, copy-pasting things between spreadsheets or having effectively a screen open with, say, Google Maps or ArcGIS on one side of the screen and a spreadsheet on the other and going left, right, left, right, and just recording evidence. So we're automating the repetitive parts so that that team can go out on site and actually check what's out there, can get out and speak to the local stakeholders or iterate on the assumptions. So... In in, in terms of, I think, how we're seeing the adoption with the industry, we found a pretty good fit in terms of the business model where we would work and and license the software directly to the utility, to the developer, to the asset owner. And then they would effectively own the project throughout different stages and they would invite different consultants because there will be different specialist consultants, There there will be, say, engineering, environmental landscape, all of those different people can come together in in one place when it comes to that planning stage. Um, And that, I think that's where we found the best fit when it comes to engineering or environmental consultants. I mean, I I think the industry is is shifting to more fixed rate type contracts, but fundamentally it is, it is a services model, right? So I think even though people might want to change how they do things on the ground, there are inherent challenges that they're going to see just with how the
1: business is structured. See, that's a really interesting model that actually the asset owners or the, the developers are procuring continuum industries and owning the license, sharing it with the suppliers no. that they were board. With artificial intelligence and the power of computing ever increase it, do you see a time where actually the asset owner or the developer could do the design work themselves using the power of continuum industries without relying on external consultants? That's a really interesting point. I think, I think there are already
0: some developers that do that right even without us being on board and it's more than whether it's possible or not i think it's more of a commercial or strategic decision whether they want to keep that in-house or not i don't think that our technology will completely replace the engineer or the planner that's that's not what we're trying to do I, i don't think those technologies are at the moment at least reliable enough to make such large decisions they're here to provide context to crunch the numbers, but not to make the final decision right they They will provide four options, five options, a hundred options, justify how they stack up, how they compare, but then there's quite high level of probability that this is not the full picture, right there's more that actually has to be added so I think whether a developer owns the full design and engineering in-house or environmental or not i I think. I don't think our technology might change just as much, but it's more of a commercial decision or strategic decision whether the developer wants to keep more in-house or not. So we might enable those that do want to do that. But also we're seeing a lot, especially in the kind of gas sector when it comes to hydrogen, we're seeing a lot of the developers network networks in that sector just say, well, we we want the job done, right? We don't want to be playing around with a piece of software. We just want the job done. And in this case, the, the kind of situation is very different. Where do you think consultants just aren't quite getting it yet? I think it's a journey. I think it's an education. Where do they not get it? I, th- I think there is a confusion as soon as someone hears algorithms and AI and whatnot. They will say, oh, this isn't able to make good decisions. We can't trust it, right? Those are two important things. It's not going to capture absolutely everything. And that's not what we're trying to do, right? At least as continuum. Maybe some people are trying to build algorithms that do absolutely everything. You know, <laughs> fine. Right? Building a digital god of infrastructure. M- maybe we can. Maybe it's possible to get to something like that in a number of years. But today, we've got a problem at hand that needs to be dealt with. So I think it's the the perception that as soon as you start talking about technology, you talk about completely replacing as opposed to augmenting. I think that's and that's a spectrum. And I think some people will be. On the more conservative on the end of the spectrum where they will say well that's not going to work for my use case without even trying and giving it a go we've seen a lot of people who initially would say yeah i can't see that working i can't trust this very often engineers right experienced people 15 20 years of experience they've been there seen it They've done it multiple times. They run into dead ends. They had to do rework. But then they give it a go and they find out, actually, okay, I can make this fit my workflow and I can get this to deliver the value that actually matters to the business as a bottom line at the end of the day.
1: And fitting into the workflow is a really interesting point because when I look at your option here platform, I see a really good example of product innovation, but it also then brings about this process innovation piece for consultants. It really mm-hmm. looks all the way that... Linear infrastructure is designed. What type of support do you provide by way of implementation? Cause I imagine it also requires quite a big organizational change piece to accelerate the adoption of new capabilities like this.
0: Yeah. There's a fair bit of change management involved in all of this. We do provide a services wrap around, around the software. It's fairly light in terms of what we actually need to put into this, because we're trying to, as we move productize as much as possible. And as a result, make the process as fast as possible and as easy as possible. But that comes down to building, for example, a data pipe to source all of the GIS data sets for a local area, right? So when you look at the UK, you would expect to see sets from say Ordnance Survey, DEFRA, Scots in Scotland. Consultants very often do that manually for each project. We used to do that manually, but now we built a data pipeline that just pulls it automatically from the sources each time a project starts. And that data pipeline can then also check whether anything changed in that data set automatically. So we provide that as a piece of support to get the project started, but then very quickly transition from, okay, we've got the initial routes, you've got the initial design options. Now you work with this as opposed to sending an email to Continuum Industries. Hey, can you make a check? We try to enable our users to make that change in a dedicated user interface, which I would hope is better than writing an email and spending a lot of time on this. I think it is, and we're seeing proof that it is, but you know, it takes an hour or two to get acquainted with it. And once you've done it, then you, you can get going. So our services are really to enable people to, to, to make that
1: change. And have the complexities of the engineering sector and how work is typically procured project by project made it difficult to sell the business to investors, particularly mm. non-specialist investors?
0: So I think that's an, a very interesting thing because as soon as someone says project by project, that, okay, so that's not recurring revenue, right? And as a software business, recurring revenue is, is the thing to go after. But actually period and time. And I think that's why solutions like us actually make sense now and why Continuum is possible now, both technically and commercially. It's just the, the sheer volume of work that has to be carried out. Globally, when like, I think there was a, a report from Bloomberg that came out recently that we need like 50 or 80 million kilometers of new grids by 2050 to really get the transition done, the energy transition done. And that's not something we had before, right? So the number, the large number of projects that each of our customers will have, each of our customers will start say 10, 20, 50 projects each year, that provides that recurring or repeatable revenue. And then the second piece is that actually our software can be used on each project for a certain period of time, not just for a month or two months, right? There is that recurring element from each project as well, where we generate value to that project. When you actually start looking at the numbers underneath and the traction that we've had, then it becomes quite clear how we're able to scale the revenues we scaled our sales and revenues in the last year three and a half times faster than we scaled our team overall, wow. right? So we grew our revenues in the past 12 months seven, over, seven times over the previous 12 months. And the team didn't have to match that, right? So fundamentally, it's not a services thing because we're able to disjoint the, the two things. And the same customers are just coming back for more. And we've got that retention over time. And where do you see the future of your business? I think there is a need. For a platform, almost like an operating system, for planning, for development of linear infrastructure, and that's what we're trying to become, right? We're trying to become that operating system for development of transmission infrastructure, taking those projects from start to a consent or a permit as fast as possible at the lowest possible risk, right So that, that means generating lines on maps, but it also means environmental impact assessment. It also means public engagement. It also means better engagement between consultants in different disciplines. So effectively taking people from emails, Word documents, spreadsheets, Google Maps, Google Earth into one place where they can actually collaborate and be enabled by the modern
1: advancements in AI and uh, algorithms. Greg, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Future Engineering Club podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I really hope you found it interesting. If I may ask a favour, if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a share on LinkedIn and a follow on Spotify, as it would really help promote our conversation to others who might find it helpful. And with that, I'll leave you to it. Stay tuned for next week's episode, where we'll be hearing from one of Europe's leading prop tech theses. Thanks and goodbye.